The Network Live. News, insights, and stories right here on KNEL 95.3 FM and KNELradio.com every Sunday morning at 10 a.m. Don't miss this opportunity to hear world news, insights, and stories from guests around the world. The Network Live is your pathway to connecting people and ministries. Good morning and welcome to The Network Live. I'm your host, Debbie Rule. Today we'll be hearing a message from Perry Stone on Heavenly Visions of End Times Prophecy. Here's Perry. Uh, For the next few moments, in Joel chapter 2 and Acts chapter 2, I'll just give this to you. It indicates that we come to the last days that sons and daughters are going to prophesy, but it also says that there will be dreams and there will be visions. Uh, We're told this, and it's very significant because I know in my own life I had an experience of 1996 seeing the Trade Center shrouded in black with these gray tornadoes coming off of it. I shared that on national TV in 1999, and then 9-11 happened. Had a vision of an oil rig explosion off the Gulf, right off of the coast of Louisiana and how it would affect five things. I had an artist draw the whole picture out two and a half years before that happened. Uh, had a voice audibly say, we have him, we have him. We've caught Bin Laden at 6 o'clock in the morning. I texted everybody. I said, we're about to catch Bin Laden or kill him or something. It happened a week later. And so these things occasionally happen. They're hard to explain. You don't actually pray for it to happen, but it happens by the sovereignty of God. I want to begin today by telling you what I call the vision of spiritual warfare for the end time. Several years ago, I was preaching in Deland, Florida in the 80s. And I met a young man who at that time was in his very early 20s. And he had a very unique experience that happened to him. He had been run over by an automobile. And they thought he was going to die. However, God allowed him to live. And God showed him in the spirit an actual vision. And this vision, I have, I have told it from time to time. I've kind of sat on it for a couple years because now it really makes sense what this young man saw. And it fits the time in which we're living in. So I'm going to share the vision, share what he saw. And then I'm going to break it down biblically and say, how does this apply to us and what should we do? Years ago, as a young man, God carried him out in the spirit and he was in the atmosphere looking down at a field. This is not a dream. This is a vision. It was a great harvest field of golden grain. And he said, in this harvest field, he looked and when he looked around, the sky above him was blue and the, the golden grain was below him. And he saw this massive army and they were all believers marching together into this field. They were united together. They were strong together. And he said it was a beautiful scene to see countless numbers of people going into this massive harvest field. But he said all of a sudden, out of nowhere, vultures appeared. These vultures were circling and flying from every direction, from the north and from the south and from the east and the west. Immediately when he told me this, I was reminded of Mark chapter 4, of how the sower sows the word and birds come to do what? To steal the word that was sown. And oddly enough, a bird can represent an evil spirit. And there are places in Ecclesiastes or other places that we could share that truth with. But for the sake of time, we'll continue on. He said, suddenly the bird, these vultures, began dropping things into the field. And some some of them were open enough that you could see it before you got to it. Others were concealed within that field to where you didn't know it till you came upon it. And some people were tripping over them. So 
I said to him, I said, what did you see? What were the things that happened? He said, there are three things that once the vultures showed up became very evident to me. He said, number one, there were tares being placed in the field by the vultures. They would drop the tear seed in and bam, immediately it would spring up. So tares were becoming a hindrance in different parts of the field. He said, uh, God spoke to him and said, the tares are assigned in the field to make it difficult to harvest. And if you've ever dealt with people that have wrong thinking and you try to convert them to Christ by using the scripture, you'll understand what that means. Because a tear is a seed that is bad seed. And I'm going to talk about that in just a moment. Number two, he said he noticed that they were dropping little stones. Some were small, some were larger. And they're dropping these stones in the field. And he said these stones had people's names on it. It's like they were assigned to be sure and go after that particular person. And he said, as they dropped these stones in the field, I said to him, what did the Lord tell you about the stones? He said the stones were stumbling blocks. They were things in the field that people would be have their just looking forward, not paying attention, and all of a sudden they would hit the stone and they would fall completely on their face. They were different sizes. Some stones caused people to just bump their toe and cause a hurt. And how many know a hurt is an offense if we look at what a hurt is in the New Testament? Others com completely fell over the stumbling block and it hurt them and injured them and wounded them to the point that they didn't feel like getting back up. So stumbling blocks caused wounds. Stumbling blocks caused offenses. And this is how he interpreted this. He said the third thing that was the most frightening and powerful was another set of these vultures, these evil birds, came in over the field and they had missiles in their claws. He said some of the missiles missiles were shorter, some were larger, and some were tipped with fire. And he said, this reminded me, even though I was young, of a scripture that Paul said to be, beware of the fiery darts of the enemy. Now, before I tell you everything else he saw at the end of the story, let me interpret from scripture the three things he saw, because this is a very biblical vision with much symbolism in it. The first thing was the tares. What is a tear? In the parable of the wheat and tare, here's what Jesus said. A good man sowed the good seed, which is the word of God. But while men slept, another enemy came and sowed tares. So they grew together until harvest time. Please notice what I'm about to say based on the parable. The reason that an enemy was able to go in and put tares among good seed is men slept. When you're not paying attention to spiritual things, when you become sluggish, when you become lukewarm, what the enemy will do is he will cause you to become so just uh, passive that eventually the doctrines of the Bible that have been passed down to us from the time of the apostles will no longer matter. You see, there are men preaching today and writing books that hell does not exist. There are people writing books today, believe this or not, that teach that everybody at the great white throne judgment will be forgiven of their sins and judged by books. And so death and hell are cast in the lake of fire with Satan, but everybody else is released. It's extreme universalism. And all these teachings are emerging and they are the tear that's in the field. And the problem is this. If you ever see a tear and you see wheat around it, and you guys in 
Oklahoma should know about this. If you go in there and try to pull it up, it's like pulling a weed up in a garden. Uh, my wife had a garden. One day it got full of weeds, and I decided to start pulling. And I found out something, that the root of the weeds started intermingling with those carrots. And when I would pull the weed up, I pulled carrots up with it. And the Lord spoke to me. He said, this is what happens when you try to deal with a tear, a person with a bad spirit, a person with a wrong attitude, a false doctrine corrupting a church. That tear has intermingled itself with good wheat, good wheat. And so you try to say, sorry, but we're not going to have this here, and you got to go. But watch, a tear never leaves alone. Mark it down. A tear will take five good families with it. A tear will take three good families with it. Because that's what happens in the natural, and the natural is a reflection of the spirit. So the tears were like bad seed and wrong seed. But the Bible said they will grow together until harvest time, and it will take the angels of God coming to sever the wheat from the tear. So basically, a tear will often accept doctrine that God is not in God's word. A tear will often accept things that God does not accept or permit things that God forbids. Now, the second thing are the stones. And this was interesting to me. What is a stone? A stone is a stumbling block. In the Bible, it talks about not putting a stumbling block before the blind. Don't take people who can't see. Now watch this. Watch the application. That's in the law of Moses. Never put a stumbling block before a blind person because a blind person can't find their way around. And if you put a stumbling block, they can't see it and it will cause them to fall. Now let's look at the spiritual application. There are a lot of people who are spiritually blind. They have a little bit of Bible knowledge. They have a little bit of understanding, but really they are totally spiritually blind. Now these individuals would be considered weak spiritually. And there are things that happen to people who are weak spiritually. For example, you could have somewhere a church split and strong believers are going to stay in the church. But baby Christians get offended and say, why do Christians act like that? They're all hypocrites and none of them re are real. That creates a stumbling block. Uh, you can have at times ministers. They love the Lord, but maybe they fall into a sin. And people that love them can either say, look, we're going to stay with them for restoration or they'll go the opposite and get angry and get mad and that becomes a stumbling block to those who are weak and not knowing the restoration power of God. Now the reason I'm sharing this with you as I talk about the stumbling blocks that this young man saw is in the New Testament do you realize that in the New Testament the church almost split between the Jews and the Gentiles over two subjects. Number one was circumcision. Most Gentiles were not circumcised. You know what circumcision is. I hope I don't have to explain it to you. <laughs> I, hope, I hope you know. <laughs> it reminds me of that funny story. Can I just tell you a funny story? This really happened. A young preacher was called to preach in Alabama and uh, had some family members in the church and they decided to let him preach. And he was a novice. He loved the Lord, but he didn't really know the word. And so he preached on circumcision and he went up to a sister, Sister Jones, and he started tapping her on the head. Have you been circumcised? He's tapping her on the forehead and everybody's kind of looking at each other and he's going around tapping people on the head, asking them, have they been circumcised? So the pastor after the service said, young man, can I ask you a question? What is circumcision? He said, well, the Bible talks about the circumcision of the foreskin and the foreskin is the forehead. And it... <laughs> this is really a true story. This is not a joke. Put that in preaching class 101, what not to do in your early ministry. Find out what the word means before you use it.
<laughs> All right, go back to stumbling blocks here for just a minute. What happened was this. The Jews, by the law of Moses, and really before the law of Moses, it was the law that God gave to Abraham, had to be circumcised to be in a covenant with God. It was a token or sign of the covenant when a man-child was circumcised on the eighth day. But in this situation, what happens is this. The Gentiles are coming in, and they're not circumcised. So the Jews taught, if the Gentiles do not go through physical circumcision, they really don't have a covenant with Jesus Christ. And I'm telling you, if you'll read Galatians and read other writings. This literally almost split the church down the middle. In fact, Paul on one occasion made one of his disciples, young disciples, be circumcised who was a Gentile to keep the Jewish people from rejecting this young man when he would stand to teach or preach and Paul was assigning him into ministry. In fact, it got, it got so bad on one occasion, Paul finally said to them, the circumcision that God wants under the new covenant is not in the flesh of the foreskin, but it's in the heart. If your heart, look, if you do all the outward things and look good, but the heart is not right, that doesn't work. So what is this? Okay, they also had a battle over meat sacrificed to idols. No Jew would ever touch any meat had they known it had been cut on an altar and the meat had been sold in the shambles. That's the word that's used in the marketplace. So when Jews are shopping, they want to know, was that lamb offered on an idol a temple or are you a farmer selling this? They wouldn't touch it if it was sacrificed to idols. Now, this again almost split the church. Do you know why? Because Gentiles would eat that stuff. Because the Gentiles have the attitude, well, what's an idol anyway? An idol don't even have ears to hear or a, a mouth to see or, or to taste or hands. So they're just doing something stupid. They're dumb. And even Paul called them dumb idols. But on one occasion, Paul had to get in a debate. And here's what he said. Now watch the, watch the line of thinking. Paul said, okay. He said, meat sacrificed to idols is nothing because an idol is nothing. He said, however, if I'm going to sit down at a table and I'm going to eat and I see the meat and it's been offered to me by a family I'm with, I ask no questions for conscience sake. You don't sit down and say, hey, uh, Sister Jones... Where'd you get this meat? How rude. The last thing you want to ask a woman who's cooked for you, come on and start questioning her cooking. <laughs> All right, so he said, if I'm sitting down, I'm not even going to ask him. I'll bless it and sanctify it by prayer and let it go. Because he says, I don't want to have their conscience feel bad because of how I feel. So he said, but, he said, if I'm going somewhere and I know it's wrong, here's what he said, I'll eat no meat as long as the world stands. Now watch his thinking to prevent from offending or creating a stumbling block for my Jewish brothers who believe it's wrong. Now look, can I go ahead and preach while somebody say preach Perry, say preach Perry. See, that's not the attitude of today. The attitude that I encounter today is I have my liberty in Jesus. I will do what I want to do and I don't care what you think about it. When all along, we have to be careful of things we do as believers, especially leaders, because we could create a stumbling block. Now, I'm going to get on a very touchy issue. This is very touchy. Uh, not among old-time Pentecostals, not among UPC Pentecostals, but it's very touchy among charismatics. The Bible makes it very, very clear about alcohol. Now, I'm going to say something to you. No good thing in the Bible ever came out of people drinking alcohol. Look, every man of God that did it usually ended up with a woman or his clothes off. 
David tries to get somebody drunk. Never can. I mean, nothing good ever came, came out of it, okay? So I made a commitment years ago, not because I was raised in the church of God and they taught against it, but when I deal with 60 women in my ministry every Tuesday night that go through rehab, and all of them tell me it usually started with a drink, why would I go to Buffalo Wild Wings and even have a beer? Are you listening to my ration here? And then say, wait a minute, Perry's drinking. What's wrong with us? I then put them back in the bondage. God delivered them out of because what I'm doing is a stumbling block. Now, do I think people are going to go to hell for having a beer? Probably not. But that's not the issue here. The issue is testimony. The issue is a stumbling block. And I see preachers. Oh, I'm going to go ahead and preach this to the preachers right here. Paul made it clear a bishop is to be the husband of one wife and given to no wine. And you've got men calling themselves bishops who's already left two wives and they're looking for number three. Don't get up and call her first lady. I want to say to God's glory, I've had one for almost 34 years and I can call her first lady because she's still first lady. You understand? So praise the Lord. <laughs> so praise God for that. But some of these men, I know for a fact, they'll sit at tables and drink till they get drunk, but stand up and call themselves a bishop. Now, they're going against the word, but also they're going against the conscience of people who were ex-alcoholics and people that had bondages and problems. I knew a well-known man. I was at a restaurant in Chattanooga, Tennessee. We will not name him because I respect him. But I saw a well-known minister. And a young man from a Christian university was serving them at the table, and they ordered two martinis. Do you know that one of the major universities did a study on the alcohol of Jesus' day? And they always mixed the wine with three parts water, which brought the alcohol content down. And in some instances, if it was a large barrel, they'd mix it with 20 parts water. So the alcohol content was almost, you know, non-alcoholic beer, like at 1%. Well, they ordered two martinis. It would take 27 glasses of wine mixed with water in Jesus' day to equal the alcohol in two martinis. That's a university study. So this couple orders two martinis. You could see the expression on the young man's face when he was puzzled. I watched his eyes. I was sitting not with them, but across from them. And I said to my wife, that's a very bad testimony. What if that young man has a problem? What if he's tempted to do that? What if his friends are pressuring him, but he says, my conscience says no. Then he'll go against his conscience. He'll go against the spirit. And whatsoever is not of faith becomes sin. So here's the point I want to make. And I want you to listen to me very carefully. There might be some things that you can do, but you choose not to do simply because you prefer not to be a stumbling block to others. There might be in your life, this is good preaching, Perry. Amen. Keep on. All right, I will. Um, there may be areas in your life that we would call a gray area. One of those gray areas with some people is playing a lottery. Now, a lot of people say it's gambling. It'll send you to hell. Other people buy one ticket, and some people get addicted to it. There's people that go to cruise ships and play bingo, and some people call it gambling, and some people don't. I know Christian people that can play bingo the whole time they're on a cruise ship, and I know other people that said I was a gambler, and for me to have to play that brings up that gambling spirit again. Okay, now maybe that's not a gray area 
area with you, but for some people, that's a gray area. They, they have to work out their own salvation. But if it's in the Bible that it's wrong, it's no longer a gray area. And so that's where we have to live. So they, let's go back. The vultures are throwing rocks in a field. And these are stumbling blocks. And people are stumbling. Now, the third thing, and I want to go through this quickly, is that there were missiles. And he said they had fire on these missiles. These would be considered the fiery darts of the enemy from the book of Ephesians chapter 6. Now, I want to explain to you the three arrows that were used in the time of Jesus. In the time of Jesus, soldiers used the common arrow, which was the wooden shaft with a metal tip on it. These, are, these metal tips are found all over Israel in archaeological digs. But the second kind of arrow was an arrow which could be uh, dipped in a, in a tar-type substance and lit. So the metal tip is fiery. Why would they do that? Because if they could shoot it into a house or a beam of wood, it could start a fire. It didn't always did it, but it could. The shields were made of leather. You shoot it into a shield, and that fire is on that shield, and pretty soon the man is distracted because that leather, if it's dry, could burn. The third kind uh, was a kind that inside the actual wooden shaft itself, they would put a liquid substance, and then when they lit the tip, they would shoot that arrow, and these were, these were kind of like... A, I guess you could call them reed-type arrows. When it hit the shield, it kind of caused a crack enough for that liquid to spread. So the little fire became a big fire on the shield. So now they're concerned about their shield. Watch this. Watch the shield, the shield of faith being on fire. And they're distracted by that. Those are the three arrows used in the, the battles of what we call the ancient battles. Now, having said that, what is a fiery dart of the enemy? First of all, fiery darts are coming against us at all times. But fiery darts are are things or thoughts that the enemy tries to place in our mind. Now, everybody fights thoughts in their mind. It could be oppression. It could be depression. It could be the temptation to become angry. I could give a list of things. But a fiery dart, now watch this carefully, is a thought that burns in you that you can't get over. Let's say someone has done you wrong and day after day you're angry, angry, angry. You've got a fiery dart on the inside of your mind. Let's say that you have a situation where somebody has done you wrong and you want to figure out how to retaliate day after day. That is a fiery dart. Let's say, and this is a good example in our culture today, because pornography is so accessible on a cell phone or the internet, but let's say that you have a bondage that starts with pornography. And every day you can't get your mind off of images. And those images lead to more images. That is a fiery dart. When that thought burns in you and you cannot quench it and you cannot put it out, it has become an official missile of the enemy. Is anybody listening right now and it becomes a fiery dart of the enemy now let's stop right there because that's the battle that we're in we're in a battle against the, the tares we're in a battle against stumbling blocks keeping from being offended by stumbling and we're in a battle against the fiery darts of the enemy now in this vision here's what this man young man said he said when all of this started breaking out on the field I noticed that there was an older woman that looked like a grandmother that had grandchildren she had a huge shield and every time a missile would come she'd throw up that shield she'd cover her and her grandchildren but the grandchildren start 
horsing around and playing around and they got outside of her covering and when they got outside of her covering two small arrows hit them and they both fell to the ground not dead but wounded he said then I saw another man this is interesting who tried to outrun a vulture there was a vulture chasing him so instead of battling with the shield of faith and the weapons God had given him he turned and began to run the vulture was able to out chase him and knocked him down because his shield was not up he had no protection watch this the shield is your faith his faith was not activated he said others began to fall on stones that had their names on them and some would get immediately back up and defend themselves others would just stay down and when the ones that stayed down and would not get back up he said as gross as this sound I saw the vultures come down on them just like they would an animal on the road that's wounded or dead and they would begin to try to eat the flesh of that person meaning that once the person stumbled and fell and refused to get back up their flesh rose up and they were unable to defeat the power and the desires and the thinking of their fleshly nature and so this is all something that just really began to come, come clear to me I said well what's the end of the story he said the end of the story is this that that I saw this army and how, how they looked like that they were getting beat and they were getting whipped and they were disorganized but all of a sudden there was a call that came and I saw them toward the end of the field as they start digging trenches and they said we're gonna win this thing one way or the other and he said, as they dug trenches, all the ones from the field got together in one area and said, if we unite, we can't be beat. And they united together and they began to fight the, the forces of the air and the cosmic atmosphere, the birds and everything else. He said, there was a false prophet that came riding on a horse and some people in that field started following false teaching and false doctrine. But there was a remnant, a big remnant that came together. He said, Perry, but all of a sudden, right at the heat of the battle, you're thinking, wow, this is going to get worse. All of a sudden, he said, I heard a call about the city of God and the people turned and they saw the new Jerusalem. They saw the city of God and they knew the battle. They knew the battle was over. One thing when I've told this recently, I left out that the spirit of God just brought back to my attention. Because when he said this, I thought, oh, this war is going to go and it's going to be an everyday thing. And I remember this young man saying there were seasons of rest and refreshment in the midst of the battle. That even in the midst of the field with these birds flying, I would see people laughing from time to time. Kids with their parents laughing. I would see other believers uh, hugging each other and smiling. And he said, God did not allow the enemy to go from battle to battle to battle. And I'm, I'm so glad, uh, uh, Robbie, I just remembered this. It came back to me. But he said, God gave seasons of refreshing and how many of you know we got to have the seasons of refreshing we've got to have the refreshing that comes from the presence of the Lord now having said all of this I want to I want to share with you something that is very 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 important and that is this that I teach our congregation at OCI and I teach my partners what I'm about to tell you right now and I want you to always remember what I'm about to tell you I want to first talk to you as an individual two things I teach my children I follow this in my life all my partners and close friends know this number one I tell people whatever you do stay humble before God never take the credit for yourself I I'm blessed to have people say, Perry, that was a great message. And as I always say, well, the Lord is the one that gave it to me. When they talk about the ministry, I've always been one. I got this from my dad. He was such a humble man. But I've always said, well, it's not me. It's the Lord. Never will I take credit. Never will I take glory. Never will I say it's my revelation. I will say, God gave me this revelation. I'll never say it's my message. I'll say, God gave me a message. And always give God the glory. And let me explain to you why. That if you'll read in the New Testament, 
statement why Jesus healed people. It was one, because of compassion, but two, they always gave God the glory. When God knows that you're going to glorify Him, He will answer a prayer because He knows that you will make His name great among your family and friends. So what God does, He always does for His honor and for His glory that His name would be exalted in the earth. So if you stay humble and give Him credit, He will continue to bless you in your humility. For the Bible says, humble yourself before the mighty hand of God and He will exalt you in due time. The other thing I teach you as an individual in this warfare is keep a repentant spirit. Never allow what, other what happens to other people to affect your spirit. Never allow other people's failures and offenses to come on you. Let everybody fight their own individual. Don't be pulled into a battle you're not assigned to. And don't let other people pull you into their struggles if they are offended to try to make you offended to join with them to undergird their offense because offenses will come, Jesus said, but woe to them who they come. So humility and repentance are two of the keys in the last days of maintaining the favor of God, staying in line with God, and having God's blessing on our life. As a church, there's two things I want you to remember. I want you to remember the word love, and I want you to remember the word unity. See, we talk about how we love each other, but can I tell you something? We throw that around a lot real easy in the body of Christ. Well, I love you. Well, I love you. Well, I love you. And I learned something years ago, and I want you to, to listen to me. I can meet you and like you, but I don't necessarily meet you and love you because I can't love you till I know you. Oh, that's Thank you so much for being with us today. If you would like to hear a rebroadcast of the network live, visit knelradio.com or find our podcast on iTunes and podbean.com. To follow more news, insights, and stories, follow the Network Live on Facebook. If you would like more information about being a guest on the Network Live, contact us at thenetworklive.org. The Network Live will be back next week at 10 a.m. right here on KNEO Radio 95.3 FM and KNEOradio.com. I'm Debbie Rule. Thank you for listening today.